we've been hearing how the Lord's preparing us for something, something big. And that's why he's going through and, you know, he's been stepping on our toes a little bit. He's been challenging us to, you know, get a little thing, a few things straightened out. Let the Holy Ghost work in us to straighten some things out. And he took me to this love. And the word of God tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. So that perfect love that God is. When you think about the love of God, we've been talking about it today. We've been singing about it today. We've been worshiping him for his love today. That same love has been poured out in our hearts. Now let's take a look at some characteristics of that love. Love suffers long and is kind. Now I don't know how many of you get slapped upside the face with that one, but how many times do you not act kind? And yet it says the love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, and is not arrogant and puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. When we put these things into everyday life, let's finish that. Love does not seek its own. That reminds me of the verse, prefer others above yourself. Is not provoked and thinks no evil. There's another scripture that talks about believing the best in people. It goes right along with thinks no evil. You believe the best in people. You don't just jump to a conclusion. Because nine times out of ten, how many of you know you're wrong? (laughs) Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That love, that kind of love is inside each and every one of us. We talk about the last days and the end time harvest. You know, we're come, the world that we look at right now, the lost, I don't know about you, but when I see the lost, they're so much harder than when I was growing up. There's so much, more deception and if i could say just the hardness in them is just so much greater than it was when i was little you know even just a few years ago it's like the hardness hey satan is really coming in and just trying to close them in against the word of god and against the things of god but love doesn't ever stop love keeps reaching we're getting ready for something on this planet and it's the last day's harvest amen it's coming and it's coming soon. How many of you listen to other other prophets and other teachers talking about it's coming soon and we need to be prepared. Part of our preparation is being ready to receive them. When we come, we have to be able to look past the things that we see. Their rough talk. We have to be able to look past the way that they dress. The thoughts that they have. And let that love connect with the love that God has for them. It's not going to be easy, but God is challenging us now to prepare ourselves. Starting with the people that are around us. You know, when it talks about judgment, it always starts with the church. Well, preparation starts with the people around you, starts with your family. You know, we talk about Samaria and Judea and all the uttermost parts. Samaria is your home. Well, starting with your home, how am I suffering long and being kind to those that I love? I mean, 
I just, how can we mistreat people that we love and then expect that we're going to reach out in love to people we don't even know? There's a love. You know, when we, it hurts my heart so much when I see parents not treating their children right. Because you all know me. I love kids. And we're supposed to walk in love toward them. I cannot say this enough. There is something that God is trying to do in the area of love in our hearts toward those that we have fellowship with and relationship with that must take place before we can go outside. Because we're the example then. That's why. (laughs) That's why. Because when they see us, then we're the example for them. Amen. They see how we treat our spouses. They see how we treat our kids. They see how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the example. How many times has somebody said something and you immediately go, oh, and there's an attitude. (laughs) Lord's already been talking to us about our attitudes. He's been talking to us about thoughts, having bad thoughts about somebody. These are all things we need to get a hold of. I'm encouraging today, go back and read through the love chapter. Confess that over your life. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me where I'm not acting kind, especially toward those that I love. You know, there was a movie. I can't remember what the movie was, but there was something going on. And this this young girl turned to her dad and says, Daddy, if you love me, you have to love everything about me. Everything that, and that's how the father loves. Everything that pertains to you, he cares about. He cares about. It's important to him. So those things that are important to your family, to your friends, it should be important to you. Even if it's just to pray, pray them through it. Whatever the situation, pray them through it. Encourage them through it. You know, I, I don't have a, a, a love for running, but I encourage my husband in his running because it's important to him and I love him. You know, those things are important. Same thing with our children. We don't want to bash them because of something that, you know, my son likes karate. Well, I don't like karate. Encourage them in that. There is a love, an aspect of love that God wants to bring us up higher to. You know, I look at, he kept talking to me about Jesus came to serve and not be served. And yet how many of you know people? who refuse to roll up their sleeves and ever get involved in anything, but they're the first ones that they want to be served. That's not the love of God, and that's not Jesus. We need to ask, Lord, how can I serve? The one thing that the Lord spoke to me this morning right here is the awakening. I talked with Miss Gladys about this a couple weeks ago, but that the only thing that's going to help the world right now is an awakening unto God within the church. It has to start within the church. And what I mean by an awakening unto God is returning to our first love. Everything that we do and we think and we prepare for should start with God. The things of God should be more important to us than anything else in the world because all this we know is going to go away. His kingdom, his people can't tell you i've been my I, I must have been so sheltered because my eyes have been so open recently to the hurt that is out there in this world to the the devastation and the desperation that people are going through and the church has to be ready to receive them and we have to be ready to reach out with that love 
that love that's unconditional, that love that says, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, what you say, where you live. I love you and I'm here to help you. That's the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. And in order for us to operate in these gifts that that we're being encouraged to pursue, we have to first do what chapter 14 says in verse 1, pursue love. Pursue love. And then pursue their gifts. So this morning, that's that's where the Lord is really um, encouraging us as a body. Look at your own life. Nobody can do it for you. But look at your own life and ask yourself, compare it. I always often, I'll take the word and I'll compare Psalms and say, Lord, am I doing this? Am I missing it here? Where, where am I not quite acting right or doing things right? Or, you know, even in my prayer time, you know, am I not praying this accurately? Should I be doing something different? We always have to go back and check ourselves against the word. And this morning it's the word of love. Not our idea of love. <laughs> That's the key thing. Not our idea of love. But what does his love say? Amen. Amen. So I hope I got that out proper. <laughs> Thank you. Father, we thank you for the word that is shared. We always need to come back to the love of God. Make sure that what is poured out in our heart is what we operate in. We thank you for your word that corrects us, steers us along the way we should go. And as we look to it here this morning, thank you for the insight and wisdom that you give us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, worship team. They had to accomplish all that in less time than usual. <laughs> we had the um, we had some things that came in, came up and kept them from being able to get together. Thank you, Brother Victor. Kept them from getting together on Thursday, but they all got together early this morning. Got things ready for us. We appreciate that. We're going to be looking at some things to help us understand the way God looks at us as we are unfaithful, leading us along to a place of being faithful. It's good this morning to have some of our college folks back with with us, and we have a Bible to present to them, which we'll be doing here in a little while. I told them expected sometime in here, not sure when. (laughs) But last week we were looking at Saul and his call and conversion, and we saw that he was given a call, he was given gifts, and he had an assignment. And he was not faithful with that. And how did God deal with him? And so we spent some time looking at that and saw that he was given grace. And God gives grace, as James tells us. He gives us more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We have to make sure we're on the side of being humble. Because if we're on the side of being proud, that will keep us from receiving that grace. If you would turn on your Bibles here this morning to Exodus, the second chapter. I know we've looked at this of recent times, but we're going to look at this for the particular purpose. And so when we do that, we sometimes tend to, to see different things. But our purpose here in this is to see from the standpoint of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And with Moses, we have a, a man who was unfaithful with the call of God. 
But he was brought to a place of being faithful. And how did God deal with him while he was unfaithful? His early life was different from Paul's. Paul's Paul actually went against the things of God. Moses didn't go against the things of God. Once he found out what God had called him to do, he actually tried to pursue it. But still, he was unfaithful. And eventually just left it all together. In Exodus chapter 2, we're just going to read the whole story here. There's no sense in just jumping in the middle. But a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dubbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done with to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. So Moses called. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out, to his brethren and looked at their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, we'll read some other passages here too, and we'll see that Moses heard the call of God. Even though he was raised an Egyptian, he eventually came to the realization that the Hebrews were his brethren. It doesn't tell us too much of how he came to that knowledge. It just tells us that he did. And he had that understanding of it. And so it says that one day, verse 11 again, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of the brethren. So he went out to his brethren. What we're going to see here is what kept him in the place of being unfaithful with what it was. So look at this passage again. We're going to see that he went out to his brethren. We see that he looked at their burdens. We see that he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. We see that he saw one of his brethren. Saw them as one of his brethren. We see that he looked this way and he looked that way. We saw that he saw no one. We saw that he killed the Egyptian. We saw that he hit him in the sand. We saw that 
he went out the second day. We saw that he saw two Hebrew men fighting. And we saw that he said, why? And then we see that he feared and fled. What is the one common thing that you see repeated quite often in there? What he did. Everything in this passage, especially the two of these verses, Moses saw, he saw, he did, he looked. Constantly we see he did this, he did that, he did it. It's always about what Moses is doing. There's not a single mention of God leading him, God directing him, God putting a burden on him. There's not a single thing in that. It is constantly, it is repeated so much. You may miss it when you just read the passage, but I just wanted to read it to you in this manner so that you can just look at this and see the number of times he did something. Then it's very clear. Now, who wrote the book? Moses wrote it. Moses knew exactly what was going on that day. He probably went back and relived that day a few times. Now, I made this note. You can make this note here if you if you want to. But isn't it interesting that he has grown up then all of a sudden on one particular day he decides to go out and and see his brethren. On this one particular day that he decides to go out, he goes to an area where an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew. Do you think that that is by accident? Have you ever thought of it? There is no accident as to the day. There is no accident as to the place that he went. You see, I'll even bet when we get to heaven, you can talk to Moses about this and see. But I'm pretty sure I have this right. (laughs) That all in preparation, Moses has been getting some thoughts. The, The enemy has been feeding his mind with thoughts. And he knows exactly what he needs to do to motivate him with anger so that he will perform an action that is against the call of God and put him in a place where that call will become compromised. I think the devil knows exactly what day he needs to go. He knows exactly where to take him because he knows exactly what kind of thing needs to happen. And surely enough, the enemy's camp is probably working on the Egyptian to say certain words that would trigger this anger inside of Moses. Have you ever heard certain people can say things a certain way and get you madder? That inspiration was probably given by the devil to fire this whole situation up so that Moses came upon it. His thought is, I need to kill him. Does that thought come from God? No. But it does come from the enemy. And the enemy fanned the flame and moved him to do something that would compromise his ability to be the deliverer so that he fled. Now, I didn't put this in your outline. We've gone through this other times and we've shown you through the genealogies. You know, there's reasons that they're all in there. We showed you through the genealogies and so forth the... um, when all this occurs, when this occurs with Moses and he has this, this calling and this burden to go out and see the people, it has been, the children of Israel have been in captivity for about 390 years. 
the word that came was that they would be in captivity for 400 years. In the end result, as we look at the how things played out, Israel was in captivity under Egypt for 430 years. That's 30 years longer. Now, what's the difference between 390 and 430? It is 40. How long was Moses in the wilderness? 40 years. You see, Moses heard the call of God, but he was 10 years early. God was ready to prepare him and to move, move him along to get him ready so that when God said at 400 years, he would be ready to be the deliverer and the children of Israel would be delivered. But Moses didn't do that because he allowed inspiration from the enemy's camp to come in and inspire him to take on that call early. And because of it, 30 years were tacked on. Well, God waited for certain people to be moved on from Egypt and for Moses to get ready again. But he's still preparing them. He was still going to get them ready and have them do some things. But we see that he did all these different things to come to this place and to do that. we got to be careful of the thoughts that come into our heads. Because the enemy can sow thoughts that sound like ministry thoughts that sound like you need to be the deliverer for these people. You need to go out there and do something. Moses, you need to do something about this. You shouldn't be letting this go on. If you really feel you're the deliverer, you ought to get out there. And he fires us up to do things before it's time. And we move out into a place, become unfaithful in what God had wanted us to do because we didn't go about it the way that God had said to do it. These are these are things we have to be watchful of. Be watchful over those things. Now I said we're going to uh, we have a presentation to give to our our, our kids, and uh, there's something that's going to go along here with them. So um, I'm going to I'm going to stop just for a minute and and do this. So we have these these Bibles that were apparently extremely rare in their their content. I'm beginning to think they are the only copies in America left because we ordered them many, many months ago and I kept getting emails that they are being delayed and that they are not ready. And so I would come up to them and I'd say, I'm sorry, but <laughs> we're, we're delayed again. And then it looked like we were getting there that they were going to be here in January and I didn't get an email and then all of a sudden I got an email that said, March. But I think, when, I, when did I text y'all? In February? They came on a day I didn't expect it. We, I didn't, didn't have any notice that they were coming. But they, um, they did come. And so we want to, to give them to you. Now, um, most years, I try and find something that, um, you know, the, we get something a little bit different colors and, and things like that. But they're all black. Because I had one choice. I usually have more choice. We have red and we have some tans and we've had some blues and things like that in the, pa- in the past. But all we had was was black, unless I went for the other ones. Now, see, if I went for the other ones, the hardback and the imitation leather and stuff like that, we could have gotten a whole lot sooner. But they won't last forever. We want this to last for a long time. So we, we wanted to make sure we got the best cover on it that we could possibly get. So this is the best cover. And uh, they put your names on it. That added an entire two days to the order. <laughs> 
But as we give this to you, come on up here, I want to give these to you. And I have something to, to say to you because usually when I, when I present these to them, um, it seems like every year we change something that we've, we've been doing it and, and, uh, started a while ago, um, a long, long time ago, putting the names on. And then, uh, since they were already opened, I said, Hey, this, since it's open, I can write something inside. So I was praying to, to see, you know, what is it that we're going to, uh, to write? I think that's the one that had your name on it. Just open it up and make sure. If not, uh, you can switch. Cause other than that, they are the same. <laughs> Did we get it right? All right, good. So I opened the one up and I saw it and I think, which hand did I put that in? But I had this, um, and it's not written in the Bible, but you will find it in there. Their words are crucial for your future. This is, this is actually a word of prophecy. That uh, You see, most words of prophecy, when someone speaks it over someone, you could take it yourself. If it's a true word of prophecy. If it's a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, that's going to be more specific for them. But you see, if it's a true word of prophecy, it's going to be a word of exhortation, edification. And um, th- these are things that we can all take. So really, a word of prophecy should be general enough that just about anybody can take it. But this is what I got specifically praying for you. Don't read it yet. <laughs> I forgot about that. I put it all in there. You, you just go out there and just read the whole thing. But I, would, I wanted to say this to you. I wanted to make sure I got it right because I wrote it down from the, from the time of prayer that I was having. Here and uh, but the the words that you hear, that sink in, that you receive will change how you see God's plan and purpose for your life. Words from your friends, from professors and teachers, and others. Be selective about who will speak into your life. Those that are good, seek after them. Those that are harmful, shun. Resist them. The words that you think should only be words that build faith in God's plan, His purpose, and His love for you. Resist all others. The enemy of your faith will inspire people and thoughts against the things of God. The enemy of your faith will sow thoughts in that are enemies, just like with Moses. They are enemies of what God wants to do. It's up to you to resist them. See who is behind these words and thoughts. You see, when it comes from the enemy, it's the father of lies. There is no truth in him. The words that you speak should always be filled with hope, with faith, and with love. Words that you speak about others, words that you speak about yourself, and words that you speak about your God. I wrote a scripture in there for you, Joshua 1, 8, and 9. That's a word, a verse of scripture that I have kept in my head. Over and over I go over it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Make sure that the words that you speak are saturated with the word of God because it will change your life. When the words that we speak become saturated with the world, it takes us down the wrong path. It takes us down the wrong direction. Don't, don't let that happen. Your future is bright and God has a plan for it. The enemy will try all he can to undermine it through people that seem to be friends. But the warning signs will always be there. The battle is on to keep you from believing in God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his love for you. So too is the battle to not believe in others. 
to not believe in yourself. Let the words of the Bible be a light on your path, illuminating every obstacle. Illuminating every single trap as well as the direction that you are to follow. God has called many to help you on this journey. Some you haven't even met yet. Some you already know. It's up to you to recognize when they come and to fight to maintain those relationships for the enemy will try and destroy it. He will sow thoughts in about these people. He will make you think things that didn't happen and a, a relationship that is supposed to help. He will undermine and he will take it away. Listen to the voice of your spirit and feed it on the words from God's word. That was the extent of the, of the word that I, I had for you in that. But I'll tell you, that's, keep speaking the word of God. Keep speaking the word. You are in places where some people, they really do truly want to help you. And you're in some places where there are some people who want nothing more than to undermine you and take away your faith, take you down the wrong direction. But God's word is a light. And you will see them if you stay in his word and keep speaking his word. The love of God that is in you for him, for other people, it will grow. It will grow strong. Thanks very much. We, we send them all off with a, a Bible every time they graduate. This particular Bible, I love this Bible. I would have one of these Bibles myself. But um, the, the Bible, what it does is it does a whole lot of things pretty well. But it does a whole lot. I mean, and things that spirit-filled people would like. It's got stuff in there about Greek words. It's got stuff in there about history. It's got stuff in there about archaeological finds. It's got stuff in there about prophecy. It just has all sorts of stuff, but it's all in one volume. I have multiple volumes that can do each of those things better, but it's multiple volumes. You can't carry that around, but that's one Bible that you can have. So we keep trying to get it. I'm thinking for next year, I might have to start ordering <laughs> the, the Bibles now to, um, to get them here because that was uh, certainly a long time. But I wanted to, to, to stop and to do that. I knew sometime around here we would We've been doing this, but Moses, you see, he had some people who spoke some things to him. He had some thoughts that came in and it took him down a wrong direction. It took him down a direction that took him out of the will of God for 30 years, not 40, 30. You see, because 10 years he was still to prepare. He just, he was, he was too early on it and it messed it up. He missed those 10 years of preparation and then he's out there in the wilderness. Now God did it. God got the preparation done. But instead of 10 years, he spent 40. And then we, we have a place where God comes back to him. But let's take a look back here at our, our uh, passage of Scripture that we are in. And we're going to, to jump over here to Hebrews chapter 11. Because I have this question in your outline. Was Moses all bad? I mean, he was unfaithful with the calling of God. He was unfaithful with the things of God. God told him to do some things and he saw, he did. He, he, it was all about him. So was he all bad? In, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now see, we weren't told that in the book of Exodus. But there came a time when he said, I am not your son. I'll, I'll stay here. I'll love you. 
probably said that. He probably wasn't just rebellious, but he said, I am not your son. I am a Hebrew. I am not an Egyptian. So by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he was a man of faith, wasn't he? He was unfaithful with the call of God, but the Word of God says he was a man of faith. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now that's a that's a big decision. Can you imagine? You could be son of the richest person in the world there, have everything at your disposal and say, I don't want it. I'd rather be out there with my brethren, the slaves. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now, I know a lot of mature believers who don't do that. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So, he's a man of faith. He made good choices. He decided to, to, to follow God and shun the things of the world. And yet, he was unfaithful with the call of God. You see, just because you do all those things doesn't mean you'll be faithful with the call of God. Those are good things to do. And surely they put you in a better position than if you didn't. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, in Stephen's sermon, he talks about Moses. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in words and deeds. He was mighty in what? Words and deeds. Not according to Moses. Moses says, I can't talk. God God says, all right, we'll send Aaron along to to do the talking for you. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren. Notice that. It came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Now just under, now get this. Just because it says it came in his heart doesn't mean necessarily that's what God wanted him to do or that God didn't want him to do it. But he went about it certainly the wrong way. How many times have you ever heard a Christian say, I have this in my heart. And then you hear him say it. And you go, Dear Lord, God did not tell you that. <laughs> I have this in my heart and they say something about the Word of God that is totally untrue. Just because people feel that something is in their heart doesn't mean it came from God. We have to be be watchful. Verse 25. Well, verse 24. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. He supposed. He su- that's That's not good. Don't go supposing anything. Well, I suppose God would want me to do this. Don't suppose anything. Find out. Ask them. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. Well, if I see this, if I see that God's called me to be the deliverer, if I've gotten hold of this, surely they've seen it. And so I'll just go out there and be the deliverer and they'll be glad. 
They weren't. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting. Tried to reconcile them saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian where he had two sons. See, he felt some shame from all his mistakes that he made. And so he quit on the call. Have you ever felt ashamed? He was feared because they were going to kill him. But he felt shame because he maybe he realizes he did this wrong. Whatever it was, he ran. But though he quit on the call, God did not quit on him. And understand, the same thing applies for you. Just because I've missed some things, slowed down my development, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, does not mean that God quit on you. If God didn't quit on Moses, stayed with him while he was out on the other side of the wilderness for 40 years, delayed what God said would happen at 400, delayed it for another 30 years. If God didn't quit on him, God's not going to quit on you. If he didn't quit on Moses and Moses is now 80, why is he going to quit on you? See, Moses was called to be the deliverer from early on. His parents saw that and did everything they could to try and preserve him. He still hasn't become that deliverer. But watch what's going to happen here. This is interesting. I don't think I saw it quite to this direction as I, as I saw recently, but put this in your outline for you. Many people are unfaithful because they cannot tell the difference between serving their own interests and those of God. That's why we become unfaithful. You see, Moses thought delivering the children of Israel one at a time was serving the interest of God. It wasn't. It was serving his own interest. Because, you see, he got angry. He was upset. He was going to carry on this cause. No, no more abuse of slaves. He's going to get a little tagline. Hashtag, whatever he's going to do. He's going to get all these things happening and get people to, to quit. You see, they think that because it's in my heart, it must also be in God's. Just because something is in your heart does not mean it's in God's. You can get stirred up to feel things that God doesn't feel. And you can be turned off to things that God does feel. You got to go to Him. Remember the story of, of um, Samuel? Samuel was still praying for Saul. And God says, get up. Don't you know I've already rejected him? I need you to get out there and go anoint a new one. You see, he had something on his heart, but God didn't have it. Isn't that amazing? Someone as mature and developed in the call as Samuel was on the wrong page from God. If Samuel could get on the wrong page then God was in. How many of y'all know I can get on the wrong page and really think I'm where I'm supposed to be? If I'm on the wrong page, look at the way that God dealt with Samuel there. Get up. Why are you continuing to pray this way? Come on. I need you to get on your donkey. Get on out there and anoint a new king. You see, if I hang on to those things that are so-called on my heart, I'm not being faithful to the call of God. Samuel was not being faithful to what God wanted him to do because he hung on to this particular thing on his heart. Now watch this. 
Again, I don't think I've seen this until I was, I was studying this again. Maybe you saw it. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and they filled the throws to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. And Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Raoul, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us. Isn't that interesting? They called him an Egyptian. He probably looked like a Hebrew, but he must have been dressed like an Egyptian. And so they, uh, they went with the dress. An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him, that we may eat bread. So then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses, and she bore him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage and they cried out and they, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. So Moses decides to, to live with, with Jethro. And he marries Zipporah. Now, just think about this. Now, Moses is running from what call? To be the deliverer of Egypt, right? So, in running from that call, he just happens to come by a well to where these women come all the time and are always driven away by these shepherds. Then he just uh, rises up and he defends them. Notice he doesn't kill anybody this time. That's always a good thing. Uh, he doesn't kill anybody, but he drives them away and then he gets out there and he helps them with the, the water and he gets the water out there. And uh, so the, the man of the house, Jethro, he says, all right, well, you can live here. Tell you what, I'll give you one of my daughters, his wife. And so Zipporah becomes his wife. And so now can you imagine the stories? They, they sit on down and, and uh, they say, uh, Zipporah, how did you and Moses meet? Oh, it was such a neat day. We keep going out to this well and every time we went out to this well, this and this would happen. But then this one day Moses was there. Oh, and Moses came along and he delivered us. And every time that she would tell this story about how she met her husband, every time they came up on a news person and they would tell this story, what did she call him? He was my deliverer. Moses keeps hearing this story over and over again because you know how women like to tell stories. <laughs> Come, now, if Moses tells a story, how's the story go? How did you meet? Oh, we was down over there by the well. You know, was, uh, some morning came on up and they came up to get some water and we met there and I went on over to her house and his dad said, asked me to stay and we kind of fell in love and, and, um, and I got married. Wouldn't that be the way he'd tell the story? That'd be it. But see, they won't ask her, him, because you won't get a good story. Ask Zipporah. So they ask Zipporah, you know, what's going on here? And so Zipporah, every time she's probably coming over here, she's probably telling them that, uh, oh, my deliverer. He came over and he delivered. She is, he is constantly being called a deliverer by his wife. You came and you helped us and you delivered us. Can you imagine going out to the, to the well again? Oh, deliverer. <laughs> Are you coming with me? 
So he's trying to get away from the call of God, comes right into a situation where he once again becomes a deliverer. And um, just just a, just a note: what did he use to deliver her? His staff. What did he use to deliver Israel? His staff. Who? Which one was more an account of Moses being a deliverer the way God? See the second one. Nobody, nobody had to die. He didn't have to murder anybody. He used his staff, and he delivered them. But constantly, he is thinking, he is hearing Moses, the deliverer. How long those stories went on, I don't know. But he kept hearing Moses the deliverer. He may have even thought, boy, it's been a while since I've heard that story. I think maybe we are done with that. And then somebody new comes to visit. How did you guys meet? And over again, he has to hear it. Moses, the deliverer. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, chapter 3. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside. See this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come. Now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses does, uh, he's just doing his normal job, but God knows where he's going, and he starts a fire that he knows Moses will be interested in. And he says, I will go see this great sight. But God calls them and said, Moses, unfaithful people don't get to stand on holy ground. Stay back. You notice he didn't say that? And yet Moses has been unfaithful with the call of God all these years. The call of God is still on him, but he is not pursuing it. He is running away from it. And as far as we can tell from Moses, there is no way he's going back to it. Isn't it interesting that an unfaithful person could be called by God on the holy ground? I thought that was kind of interesting. But we've gone over these before in times past. We're just going to kind of breeze through them. But there's five questions that Moses has for God when God calls him to be the deliverer. Now, I told you God, you, God will entertain questions. He'll tell you His purpose, and that's really all that you need, is what He says. But people often will ask questions. We saw that last week.
questions are being asked. And as long as you um, stay in the area of faith, he's okay with it. Ananias had questions. You want me to do what? He's out here to kill people. Put them in prison. And you want me to go to him? And God says, yeah, go ahead and do it. Because, uh, and he tells him why. And so he listened and he went out there and he, and he did it. You can ask questions, but you got to stay in faith. So verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When, I've, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So this is the place that they were going to come to. Who am I? So I'm, all this time you've been in the wilderness, what's he thinking about himself? I am nobody. I thought I was somebody. I was a great leader in Egypt and I found out I am nobody. All I deserve is these sheep out here in the wilderness. This is it. I, I am no better than this. And he's been telling himself that for a long time. Those thoughts have been coming into him for a long time. You are no better than someone who can take care of sheep out in the wilderness. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice. You shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness and we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I am sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even with a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders which I will do in his midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you shall put them on the sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is for back wages that they did not pay them. Now, now look at this. He asks another question. Does God get upset? No, God is very forthcoming with information. It actually lays out the entire plan of what's going to happen. He's not going to let you go just because I do a strong hand. I'm going to have to do this over and over again. We're going to have a lot of signs and wonders. And at the end of it, they're going to be so glad to get rid of you, they're going to send you off with money. So chapter 4, verse 1, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. And the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, 
The Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the, the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So he lays out more of the plan in this one. Does God seem to be upset with him at all? No, because he has asked questions that all involve him doing what God said to do. Every single question he has asked has to do with him doing what God said to do. When I get there to deliver them, and they say, who sent you? See, these, these are all questions. I'm there. I'm doing what you said to do. What happens when this comes up? Verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since. You have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, and the seen, nor the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. That's a nice promise I have from God, isn't it? Now we get to question number five. Up till now, hasn't God been very forthcoming? Hasn't He been very open? That when He has the question, oh, alright Moses, here, we'll do it this way. Here, this is what you say. This is what you do. But now we come to the fifth question. But He said, see how before we didn't get but. We got, then Moses said, alright, so I understand that's true. Now we're going in, but now we get the butt. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. Quite a miracle, I think, that was involved in Aaron getting free. Isn't it interesting? that 40 years ago is when he left. And 40 years from then is when Aaron finally gets free of the Egyptians. How does Aaron get free of the Egyptians? Does he do the same thing that Peter does? Angel shows up. Come on, Peter. Come on out. And then the doors of the, of the prison just kind of open and all the chains just kind of fall off. And then he starts walking and and uh, all of a sudden he realizes, hey, this is not a dream anymore. Does something like that happen with Aaron? Does the angel show, show up in the in the camp? Say, Aaron, come on. Follow me. And he's Because he's able to walk right out of the midst of the Egyptians. All of a sudden, one day he's able to do it. Forty years he hasn't done it. Now all of a sudden he's able to do it. Walks out. And then God says, now go over there. You'll find your brother. Because he knows right where to go. God's already sent him. God already knew all the questions that Moses would be asking and this would be one of them. Verse 15, Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do. So I'm still going to do what I said originally. I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to give you the words but you can speak to him and he'll say them for you. So he shall be your spokesman to the people and he himself shall be as a mouth for you and you shall be to him as God and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So up till now, 
he has been asking questions that involve him going and doing what God said. Question one, question two, question three, question four involved him going and doing what God said. Question five involved him not going, not being obedient and staying put and God finding somebody else and sent him. In other words, I don't want to do it. Find somebody else. I don't want to go. That got God mad. You see, you can ask questions of God that are questions born of your obedience. Born of you seeing you do what God said to do. Those kind of questions are fine. But when you ask questions that involve you not doing what God said, you'll get a different God. You see, it's the, it's the lack of humility that it comes in. I mean, you got how much pride has got to be going on in your, your life to talk to God through a burning bush and tell God you got the wrong guy. I am not the man for this. You may think I'm the man. I am not. Let me assure you, I am not the guy to do this. That is some pride. I'm right. God's wrong. And I need to set God straight on this. And once I do that, then, uh, you know, we'll be okay. So God deals differently with this because He doesn't like questions that deal with you not obeying. You'll find that in other places in the Word of God too. Don't give God questions about you not obeying. Have questions about you, all right, when I do that, how will I overcome this? And God will tell you. He'll give you lots of information on it, just like He did with Moses. This is how you can do it. See that rod? We're going to use that. See, this is how he's going to respond to these. We're going to do a whole lot of signs and wonders. And at the end of it, they're going to chase you out. Now we get to this last part here. We're going to see he gets rid of a lot of pride and he does eventually go. And he leaves on the journey that God wants him to do. But the pride is still there. Humility has risen up quite a bit, but pride is still there. You're going to see this come out in chapter 5 and verse 22. After an unsuccessful attempt of, of uh, Israel being delivered. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? Because you see, it didn't go so well. They didn't like uh, the idea of them asking for time off to go out in the wilderness to make sacrifice. So they decided to up the workload. We're not going to give you the straw. You've got to go get your own. But you still got to make as many bricks. And they were all upset. And they got beat for not producing. And they came out and got mad at Moses. So then Moses came and got mad at God. Now God told him, didn't he? God said, here, this is what's going to happen. He's not going to listen right away. But I'm going to, sh- I'm going to show my strong hand. And he's going to listen. They're going to send you out with money. We're going to see it one more time. Chapter 6 and verse 12. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. If the people I'm here to help, they're not listening to me. How in the world is Pharaoh going to listen to me? But that was the last time we saw that kind of a question come from him. It seemed after that, the pride went away. So just know if you still got some pride in you, God can still work with you. It just makes it difficult. 
it seems like pride takes those areas in our life that need to be changed and just kind of protects them from the presence of God. I can't even see that they're there. I can't even recognize that I have a problem in this area because this pride is covered over and just camouflaged it so I can't even tell that it's there. Other people can probably see it. God can certainly see it. But I can't see it. And it keeps me from getting those things changed. But he does not stay this way because you find out from the Word of God in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 specifically that Moses is called the most humble man on the face of the earth. He's the most humble man on the face of the earth. He didn't start off that way. He started out asking questions to God and saying, you know what, you got the wrong guy. Send somebody else. But he became the most humble man on the face of the earth. I heard one person put it this way. Not only was he the most humble, but he's also the most used. The more humble you are before God, the more God can use you. Put that in your outline here for you. To be used greatly, I must become greatly humble. To be used greatly, I must become greatly humble. Pride will keep me from faithfulness, but not from God working with me. See, here we have in a case of, of Moses. Pride had gotten a hold of him. He thought he was something special. He thought he was something good. He thought, I have all the tools that God needs and found out he was completely unsuccessful. But God trained him up. God got him ready and had him ready to move out again. And he was resistant to it because of pride. He decided his way was right and God's was not. The way that God views you as being unfaithful doesn't depend as much on your unfaithfulness as it does on your pride and your humility. Even if you are prideful, God will still speak with you. He will still try and bring that pride down, get you to a place where He can work with you, get you humble, try and and spot these things. But I'll tell you, it is so hard when we let pride get in our life. It is so hard to let it go because I think I am right. That's what pride does. It makes me think I am right. And even God is wrong. That's how, that's how bad pride is. And think, I'm completely right. Can you imagine standing before God, a burning bush says, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. He lets you on the holy ground. And He is talking with you. You hear words. These are very specific words. These are words that left such a memory with Him that He does not have a little notebook and a pencil. But he remembers the words when he finally writes this all down. He remembers the words. They left that much of an impression upon him. But still, in the midst of that, he's going to argue with God. Go send someone else. You've got the wrong guy. You've made a mistake. I realize that you have never shown up with somebody with a burning bush experience before. I realize there is no one else around here that you could have intended. I am the only person around. I am obviously the one that you are targeting. 
but you were wrong. And think you're right. That's how bad pride is. We have got to be on the guard for it. Because as long as you stay in a place of humility, God can take you from a place of being unfaithful with His call, with His purpose, with the giftings He has put on you. He can take you from the place of being unfaithful to a place of being faithful. He can take you. He has a way. He's got it all mapped out. This is how you can go. Now realize you're not faithful yet. God even said in His Word, we, we went over it. You know what? Most people think they're faithful, but there's hardly anyone that is. Only a few really are. But God's still willing, willing to work with you. He realizes the faithfulness is rare. But He's willing to take the time to build each one of us to a place of being faithful. To get rid of that pride. To bring us into a place of humility. To bring us to a place where we are useful for God. That we can take someone like Moses who felt so useless and was so full of pride to argue with a burning bush and turn him into the most humble man on the earth and used him for some of the greatest miracles and still has uses for him because he's still coming back. Moses is coming back to be one of the two witnesses. For three and a half years. He's got three and a half more years of ministry left. And that's still to come in the future. But do you get an understanding of how God sees you? God doesn't hate you. You may have come under guilt and condemnation because when you look at all the things that we've been unfaithful with, we've been unfaithful with truth, we've been unfaithful with how we're dealing with people, we've been unfaithful with the gifts that God has put in us, We've been unfaithful with the assignments that He has put upon us. And yet, despite all of our unfaithfulness, God still looks at us and says, come on, we can get this done. We can do something. You can become someone that I depend on. I can still see it. Every time I come to God, He doesn't deal with me as someone despised. He deals with me someone who he's taking on a journey to make extremely useful in this kingdom. Would y'all stand up with me? Well, Father, you have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a way for us to go, and I thank you that the Word of God illuminates our way, that you make these things of pride that are in our life Make them visible to us. They've been camouflaged over. We're so used to them. We think that they're right. We think that they're supposed to be there. But Father, there's stuff in our life that needs to be removed. That we can become all that you want us to be. But we've got to remove some of these things. And you have a way of dealing with us and working with us. Even when we were out like Moses was, we're before Pharaoh and we're saying these things and I still have some of those problems in my life and I come back and I blame you for all the bad stuff that's going on. You don't tell Moses, ah, we're done with you. You talk with them, you answer his questions and you send them back out there. And I thank you, Father, that you do that with us. 
You are shaping us, making us into faithful people. People that are useful for your kingdom. People that will help grow it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Every head bowed. No one looking around. How many of you are here say, well, I know that I've been faithful, but thank God He looks at me this way. Glory be to God. Glory to God. Are you willing to do everything that He would tell you to do? To remove every part in your life that is prideful. And to bring yourself into a place of humility. If you're willing to do that, raise your hand. Because God is going to see it. Now, you raise your hand to say, God, deal with me. He is going to send people. He's going to send revelation. He's going to send scripture. He's going to send things into your life that are going to pinpoint where the pride is. Don't get mad at the people. Don't get mad at the revelation. Don't get mad at the scripture. When you see it, and it pinpoints a part of a pride. Do the dance of joy. Glory to God. I did not know that was there. Now I know it's there. Don't get under guilt and condemnation. Don't get under a place that, well, God has, how can God even use me? Look at this. No. He showed you what's hindering you. Do the dance of joy. Glory to God. Look. What did people ask you? What are you dancing about? God just showed me where pride was in my life. See, now you can get rid of it. Because most people that are in pride cannot see it they can't see it at all and if I can't see it I can't fix it but once I see it that's the beginning that's the beginning of me being able to fix it of me being able to make a change Father I thank you that this week revelation comes to us scriptures come to us people come to us to speak things to us I thank you for it give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Good morning, everyone. Um, happy rainy uh, Sunday. It's so good to see each and every one of you of my Zoe family here and I say hi to those of you uh, that are watching by way of Internet. Um, we thank God for today. We thank God for his goodness and his mercy in our lives. We thank him that um, he is willing to work with us. And he loves us so much that um, even at times when we think that we've blown it, um, he is so faithful and so gracious, and he helps us along as little children, and we receive teaching that help us in this way, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I was looking at something in the bulletin, and um, it's a quote by Bernard of Clairvaux, I believe it's. It says, pride causes us to use our gifts as though they came from ourselves, and not benefits received from God, and to usurp our benefactor's glory. And um, that's something that we want to make sure that we always give God the praise, the honor, and glory. And in that way, um, when the, we would have pride rise up, 
we would be able to look and say, you know, that's God's doing and it's glorious in our eyes. So in that way, God gives us along our way, along our journey, he gives us these uh, helps to help us to do the things that he has uh, entrusted us to do. He doesn't just leave us on our own. He gives us help. He gives us teaching. He um, gives us one another to help us along our journey so that we can mature and then reach and help others that are coming along that path. And as Sister Connie was saying this morning, that um, we will be prepared for those that will uh, come into the kingdom we will be prepared to be able to embrace them uh, in the way that God would have us to do. So um, I'd like to read a praise report from our brother Ray. He's saying, I thank God that I'm now employed with two part-time care organizations. I praise him that he meets my need out of his love for me. And uh, we just uh, praise God with you and we rejoice with you because it's something that was on your heart and uh, God always comes through for us. And this is one thing that the enemy doesn't want us to um, acknowledge. He wants us to think that this is one time, you know, God, maybe he's shown up for you hundreds and thousands of times, but this is one time might not happen. Um, that's an impossibility because God loves us. And if we will continue to go to him as our Heavenly Father, he will never, he will never disappoint us. Um, I'd like to just uh, bring your attention to a few announcements in the bulletin. Um, the second of the two classes on getting out of debt, budgeting, building wealth and investments, and starting a business is next Sunday at 1 p.m. All you need to do is to come to the uh, to be in the church sanctuary at 1 p.m. to attend the class. You can check with uh, Lamar Childs if you have any questions, and we'll be so happy to see you there. We had a really wonderful class last week, and um, we're looking forward to uh, the second class. Um, there's a men's movie night uh, for Friday, March 29th. And if you're interested, um, please let Keith Porter know. Also, uh, we have the men's breakfast coming up on uh, Saturday. I guess that will be this Saturday, uh, March 16th at 8 a.m. And we're just um, always uh, asking all the men to uh, be a part of that. The ladies' breakfast will be this uh, on Saturday, March 30th at 10 a.m. And we always have a really wonderful time with the ladies there, so we ask that uh, you join us with that. We're having an egg hunt on Sunday, April 7th um, at in the afternoon. And uh, Alyssa is saying that we still need volunteers for the day of the egg hunt. Uh, if you can uh, commit to that time uh, on April 7th, Please see Alyssa. She would be very happy to um, to accept your help. We're still in need of sponsors for eggs and baskets. And uh, if any Zoe member has a business that would like to sponsor and advertise, please see again Alyssa for this. And this is um, we do the egg hunt each year, 
it's a time that we can uh, hopefully have our community see that uh, uh, we are here and our purpose for being here is to, uh, our primary goal is to win the loss. I mean, as Christians, we don't, the Bible says he doesn't want any to perish. And so we are his hands and feet in this, um, in the earth. And we want to let people know in the community that we are here. And before you can um, minister many times to a person and say, come to Jesus, they, they need to see, first of all, that uh, know that we're here. And then as we are uh, participating in the egg hunt, and that day we have all types of uh, uh, things for the children, and it's really a fun day. The community can get to see us interacting with each other and that joy and the uh, just the excitement that we have with one another. We can spread that to the community. And it's just, um, I can sense it when um, different ones come up and the children always, children have a way of just enjoying themselves. But the parents are looking around and they're seeing that their children are really being blessed by this. And it's something that, um, it's actually the love of Jesus that will draw them to see more of what we're doing here. So uh, the egg hunt, it's not, uh, it's not like a separate something that we do. Um, we're just going to check off this box. We are interested in souls for the kingdom. And um, we know, we've read the back of the book, and we know that there, uh, those that are not in Christ is going to be a really horrible time. So we want to, each and every one of us, draw as many as we can um, out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And this is just one of the things that we do here at Zoe that uh, would help the community to know that we are here and that we love them, that we want to uh, have them see God's best in their lives. So um, we hope that all of you will um, be participating with us on April 7th. And uh, again, if you are able to help out on that day, please see Alyssa. And as you go today, I just want you to, um, you know, greet one another and um, just enjoy the rest of your day. But we want to just always keep in mind how much God loves us because he really does. So have a wonderful day.